Hello, hello. Can anybody hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you see me? Yes, now I can. I don't know if you can see me, though. <laughs> yes, I can. I can see you. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah, it's not living. Oh, okay. There. How about now? Uh, yes. Hold on. I just found the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the format to put my... My, because uh, I was like, I see all your face, and then I haven't used Google Meets in so long that like it <laughs> gave me like the the icon in the center, like in the side, with like a bubble of that, like it's giving you like some tools. It was blocking my face, so I was like, ah. <laughs> I was like, what do I do? Yeah, technology then, keeps yeah. changing and getting crazy and all over the place. So, uh, Steffi, I want to thank you for your time for hanging out with me thank for you. a little bit. So, yeah. I'm curious because there's so many things to talk about where you started <laughs> so you're you're an actor and do you direct too yes i'm an actor and a director um i have for almost two decades uh been doing that i've directed uh you know here in south florida and acted as well i did some like um regional things and then i also moved to new york and i've acted and i've directed in new york like off off broadway and things like that so Very it's cool. been kind of cool yeah. Very awesome. So do you mind if we start at the beginning? I, I'm just curious where your story begins. Yeah, um, totally. So, I mean, if you want to go all the way back, all the way back, the history, let's go all the way back. I mean, my introduction to the arts and performance started at like the age of three and I was put in like dance classes and I was doing like uh, ballet and tap from like from three years old and I was four. I introduced jazz into that. So I was doing tap jazz ballet for like aggressively for from the age of three till about 10. Mm. Um, and that's when I kind of got introduced into the theater world, like to be an actor and things like that. I didn't um, take dancing as aggressively. I still did a few dance classes and stuff like that, but it definitely wasn't um, what my focus was in. It definitely became much more for theater. So I went to, I, I got in, I got um, admitted into a magnet performing arts school for middle school for theater mm. and then i uh, got into the magnet performing arts theater program for high school as well so i was pretty much in like theater pretty much just <laughs> as aggressively yeah i was on that track and it was um through the guidance of those teachers as well that i got to really um even have my first taste of being a director like visualizing things because they're uh like all the professors i had or teachers i had at those times like they all had different actings and uh directing styles and um what happened in high school um there were like we would constantly do showcases like in our for our for our performances and our professor always encouraged us to be the ones that like directed or put together these pieces for these mm -hmm. showcases. So a lot of the, especially the guidance of my middle school drama teacher, a lot of her style like was very much imprinted onto me, especially for musical theater, which is where my like my passion really like mm, nice. obsessed with this. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, it like put everything together, right? Like, yeah, uh, you know, I got to dance, I got to act, I got to sing and I love that stuff. So and then uh, I went to um, for college, I went uh, to Florida International University in here in Miami, and I, uh, I again majored in uh, acting performance or it was a theater performance major mm. uh, BFA track. And again, same kind of things. I got to perform in um, showcases and shows on the main stage, uh, got to assist and direct one of the main stage shows, um, and then um, being, started becoming more involved in the, in the community, the theater community outside of schools mm -hmm. ideas, which was really interesting. Um, I got to um, both act and direct for a, um, at the time it's no longer around, uh, Prior to the, right before the pandemic, they actually had to close their doors. Oh, no. uh, but a theater company, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't because of the pandemic. Um, just there, they were losing their space and they couldn't find a new space, and and then just the funding just wasn't there for them. Yeah, it was time. But there was this, yeah. So mm -hmm. this theater company, um, they gave, they had like, uh, they gave me a lot of my opportunities right away, like while I was still in college, um, to both act and direct, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm still very close to a lot of the people involved in that, that was involved in that, in that uh, theater company. Mm. Um, you know, so that was the really cool thing about it. Yeah. And then when I um, was finishing college, um, our school, my school had a, um, a summer festival. There was like, it was called the alternative theater festival because it wasn't shows that would normally be picked for the main stage uh, year round. Ones. It was, <laughs> right um and and they were 
and the, the audition and the the the, um, the rehearsal process was a lot shorter um, and um, they always they kind of did a cool thing with it which two professors would put on a show um, and then one student director would be chosen to do a show as well um, and the cool thing about it like for the for the professor shows one of the professors um, he's also the, was the playwriting professor and everything like that so he definitely would invite new work so it was either like a some really interesting staged reading of a new play that was in the mm -hmm. works um, and again the other professors she would put on shows that were again kind of out of the norm that would normally be in our production and um one year my final year uh so finishing my senior year i was the st uh, student that was selected i submitted my proposal got it in got accepted got to do a got to put on a full-length production nice. at the at the, at the basically at the <laughs> at the the production like the the backing of my school which was super mm. cool in that respect um and it was a lot of fun a lot of lessons learned and a lot of like really interesting things um uh, there were a couple of students in that production that i cast that they'd never actually been able to uh, they'd never performed on stage and mm -hmm. it was their first time performing yeah. and it created them actually auditioning and that was like a, a reputable moment for them because the professors all came to the shows um they got to see them and perform to, and so it, yeah. it kind of helped when they auditioned that following semester that kind of been like oh yeah we also saw you perform in that show it did really well you sure. did, you know you were and they so it was interesting that they even t i've had one of them literally tell me like you gave me my first audition like uh, like acting oh, that's the best job. <laughs> <laughs> um and she's like my age and everything like we were like you know she was uh yeah. so it was, she was actually a transfer from another like major into the theater program at that point and like was able to audition to become mm. a performance major and um so it was really interesting that i've had these things um i also had uh the two the two men that i cast in the show for the two male roles uh, they were both more in the um um technical tracks okay. in the school yeah um and like they they both kind of had like light interest in like what would acting look like mm. uh but not that they wanted to pursue it and um our school had like an interesting policy like anyone could audition but priority was given to the performance students always mm. because it is part of like they're there for that it was you know track, yeah it's yeah. their track um and so um the fact that two two of them one of which was like i don't even know why i'm at auditioning <laughs> but i so want to do this show um and and the best part is like so it's he was also in my directing class like when, when i did my directing final I actually did an excerpt of the play mm. and he was already in my cast for that because he was in one of my classmates because we were class we were casting among our classmates for a little one piece like you know five minute you know showcases for our final performances and stuff and um so i was like guys i got it i got it got selected to like do the summer production i want to keep the cast I have and then cast the two other roles that I haven't, uh, that aren't, weren't in that scene. Mm. Um, so I was able to bring two new people on. Um, and so that was a lot of fun and, and exciting. So, um, people that were like, I've never wanted to really be an actor, but I had the most fun being an actor. It was really cool. It was a nice rewarding thing. Yeah. And, um, so I've just, I've just had a lot of fun doing those types of things. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of been that. Uh, when I got to New York, um, I I definitely know that I slowed down in some places uh, just because um, rent is oh, <laughs> a big I a big chunk, <laughs> a big chunk of your wallet. So yeah. like, um, and so I admire all the actors, like especially in New York, who like still find the time to go out and audition like every single day. I just wasn't quite finding that time um, mm -hmm. because I really wanted to make sure that I was able to uh, like pay survive. my expenses, yeah, survive. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there was, so, um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for the roles and the things that had happened for me. I just, um, if I like thinking back, sometimes I'm just like, dang, like I missed out um, or I didn't go to as much as I should have. Oh, I, man. and, uh, and especially at the time I was a waitress and some of those waitressing jobs, I didn't get home because of the subway sometimes, like wouldn't get home till like four in the morning and the audition is at nine, which means I had to be there by like six. Yeah, and you're so like, there was just I, no, ch yeah. there was no chance. I was like, it's like, I, I, I need to sleep. Like I get to take care of my health too. <laughs> yeah. And, and like all the praise to like, you know, 
Yeah. But this um, is the thing too. I just want to say one of my favorite things is to get to talk to people like you because you recognize that you're a human being, you need rest, you need to survive. And I think that a lot of the time we have this facade in the industries that a lot of creative folks find themselves in where like you got to be superhuman. It doesn't matter, you know, if you if you were at the waitressing job until four <laughs> four o'clock in the morning, you know, it doesn't matter what you were doing. You have to slave away for for your art. And I just think that it's so disingenuous because that's why people get eat, like chewed up and spit out alive and then they get jaded and burned out and then they don't even enjoy their art. So like yeah i'm curious how you got back to it because you said you had that period where that's not something that you were able to do because of life and stuff what brings you back around how do you find your way back into that um into doing stuff like that so um i've always been very like open to um exploring um like transformation and like bettering myself in some way. Um, so I think that's very important. Um, and that's also what led me to the next stage of my life, which like, um, I know a lot of, I'm not trying to like devalue anyone who felt the pandemic was hard because the pandemic was really hard or like the shutdowns and everything that came with that mm. was very difficult. Um, however, like I really was working at um, trying to find a silver lining to this as much as it was crazy and wild like how can i find a silver lining that um would better me and support me so um and i was i was actually involved in a nonprofit uh that was actually uh, supporting like housing for um underprivileged uh youth uh, or like mm -hmm. um uh gay and uh, and trans uh youth that had aged out of the foster system it was a nonprofit mm -hmm. to help them find housing and to help uh, get them um on their feet um and the 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 like the founder of that nonprofit, um, he said something while I was you know getting part of that community that really struck me and really you know inspired me and created the curiosity that led to this, um, which is like um, that um, if you're not using this time of lockdown to finding to like continuously improve yourself or work on yourself, mm -hmm. then you've then you've wasted an unprecedented gift of time freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, what are we yeah. doing? What were we doing? We were sitting at home at a, on a couch and like, what was the difference? Binge watch Netflix, which I'm, I, I will admit I did it. <laughs> like, or maybe you pick up a self-development book, you know, at the same time, like, how can you like do something that would work for you? Mm. Um, and that kind of invited me into this transfer, like really like diving into like, self-improvement a transformation and leadership trainings that i started to do mm. that actually led me to get my um, icf certification um, so icf is um, international coaching federation it's the only recognized uh, coaching uh, international um, group mm -hmm. um, there's just over ten thousand uh, actual coaches internationally that hold this oh, accreditation okay. So it's um and it's not because no one can't get it any anyone can really get it it just adds um a le layer of um credibility um we we follow a like a code of ethics and just like this uh, a different approach to how we guide people with their newfound um self discoveries mm -hmm. uh versus like a a mentor or other types of coaches out there that they basically are telling you how to do it versus letting you as the client start exploring. Um, and the cool thing for me as I was going through these trainings and like doing these types of programs, um, I really started recognizing like how often like I was remembering things that had happened in my acting career, things that had happened in my in my journey as a student in the in in, in middle school, high school, college in New York. Um, when I was going after my acting jobs, when I was um, going after uh, uh, directing positions and opportunities like that, and mm -hmm. how um, this was not only beneficial to like me as an actor director or to them as an actor and a director or whatever their label they want to give themselves, but also how like it could be utilized to have a new understanding to in, like to make our characters mm -hmm. just that much more captivating because now we, if we're willing to start asking these same questions about our characters, 
um, that we were asked, that I was being asked and I was asking others, right? Mm-hmm. It could easily transition to these like new way of looking at a character mm-hmm. that created depth in a new way that would just like, I guess, break a lot of the barriers and a lot of the stereotypes, especially for me. Like that's actually something I'm very passionate about. Like I want there to be like this domino effect of change at the table and in the audition rooms and on the stage Mm. um when it comes to representation when it comes to these understandings and um it really was called like in this way to do that yeah so that's the cool thing about it you know Mm, that's awesome now uh with with that kind of a background laid out what do you think are the most pressing issues in the theater industry right now? What are some things that are really sticking in your mind? I mean, you mentioned representation as, as maybe a potential issue there, but what would you say are the, the main issues that we have to contend with? Um, well, I really, again, it goes back to representation and who really is having a seat at the table um, Mm. and getting a chance to vocalize and it being an honest, open dialogue. Um, So like it's, this is, I'm probably going to be very blunt in how I say this and I apologize to you. I welcome it uh, because it's, it's a big question, you know, and I throw these out there because we can get to something a little bit deeper, hopefully as we, as we continue, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, the industry is run by old white gay men. <laughs> and, and I, and yes, the LBGT community is represented, but they're still older in their mentality and they're still white. So they're still not a hundred percent understanding of some of the, um, so the older generation is still sort of yeah, keeping, keeping they're, sort of they're, the reins of, exactly. of the, yeah. So like, they're still like questioning whether like an audience will really want to see this versus seeing that because that is quote unquote the norm. And like, so for me, it's about this being able to break the, um, the boundaries that have been set by stereotypes. Mm. Um, and like, I'm very grateful for a lot of things in my life. Like I acknowledge that I'm white passing, but I'm a Latina like first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. And I, that's how I de- identify myself. And I have been told that I don't look Latina enough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I literally had a casting, no, I had a, I had a talent agent, like a, an industry agent, literally look at my resume. My name says Stephanie Sandoval at the very top in big bold letters, right? Um, I had just done a, a showcase or I did a monologue that I wrote in which I had this like stupidly thick, like Miami Cuban accent, although I'm not even Cuban, but I threw it in there to be like, <laughs> I'm representing where I grew up in Miami. And like, I'm going to represent like the Hispanic parts of me, mm. you know? And um, even throwing in like one or two, like full sentences in Spanish so that I can say that I speak Spanish. My skill, the first thing I wrote, or uh, the second thing I wrote after like having a valid passport and a driver's license was I'm fluent in Spanish. And he's like, when you say fluent in Spanish, are you trying to pass off high school Spanish to me? Oh, gross. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, how do I respond to this yeah. without clearly I'm offended by this comment, but I, what is the, what is the industry taught us? Like you said about these actors that have to like slave away at their own health, but they also have to slave away about how they represent themselves. Like it's like a job interview, right? Yeah. When it, when uh-huh. the when the interviewer is clearly racist or clearly microaggression, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's not even that micro at that point. Mm. And how can I respond without basically calling him a racist to his face, sure, not showing sure. how the level of offended I am? Because you just watched me perform a five minute monologue where I was in a crazy deep right. thick Hispanic accent. And spoke a couple lines of Spanish in there, like not yeah. even like. And that's such and, a that's such a tricky moment because at that point, do you say I'm going to take this opportunity to not become an enemy of the person, but educate the person? I mean, how do how do we respond? Is it because I I always have issues, uh, you know, about this. I'm a Mexican in Wyoming. Like that's been my life. I'm surrounded wow. by people who who disagree with me on a day to day basis. But I'm curious what you think 
is the is the solution there like do we go on attack every single moment or do we say this is a this is a non-issue or let's fix it or let me educate you like how would one go about that in that scenario so all i can do right now is tell you what i said sure, <laughs> right yeah, yeah um it was also this is also pre-pandemic by like two years so it's still not addressed the same way that we're starting to address things now for mm. sure so this is about three and a half to four years ago that this was that this happened and my response was like no, yo hablo español perfectamente. Mis padres son de la Argentina. Wow. <laughs> so all I like, and I had to keep like this smile on my face, trying to be all cutesy about it. Yeah, when inside I'm boiling. Oh, yeah, and yeah. like that, that this man was not willing to take me seriously, was just looking for me to be lying. Mm. Um, Because ultimately that's what I felt. Either you're not believing that I'm Latina enough, right? Because I yeah. don't match the color you think a latina looks like yeah. um and and then you're and or you're trying to think that i'm trying to like do my own form of like blackface or whatever right by like pretending yeah, i like can speak spanish face, uh, like yeah, pretending thanks. i speak spanish when i really don't right to try to like like beef up my resume you know yeah. like you're looking for your so it's like First, like, what do I, what do I really think is your truth here? Do you think the truth is that I'm not Latina? Like, well, first the truth was that I'm white trying to play off that I speak Spanish and mm. like, it's probably going to sound like a gringa, like totally like doesn't understand a word that they're saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to like, you know, you, then you're Sarah saying like, I, th there's no way she's Hispanic. There's no way that she's Latina because she doesn't look at. Yeah. So that then his he's like, oh, like you're fluent, fluent. Like he freaked out. Like he realized yeah. <laughs> in that moment he was very wrong. Um, and then the way he tried to justify his thought was like, but are you something else? Like, are you anything else? You like, something trying else? to find, <laughs> trying to figure out how else yeah. he could justify his, 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 um, his racism. His his, yeah, it's his, it's what's already said in their mind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did answer. I said, like, well, I'm also part Greek. And like, oh, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Like, mm. do you speak Greek? And trying to like, and I'm like, well, because it wasn't on my resume. And mm. I was like, well, no, because again, I also know he was going to be there. And I've also witnessed him like trying to catch people lying on their resume. So I was like, mm. I'm not going to put that I can speak Greek when I clearly don't. Yeah. All I can speak is I can say the alphabet, <laughs> I can count to 30, <laughs> and I can like make sure that my grandma in Greece can give me something to eat. And like, <laughs> but like, I mean, like very basic, like, and then I, I was like, well, no, because all I really know is how to ask my grandma to give me something to eat and like count to 30. Like, <laughs> I really don't have Greek. But that wasn't how me. you presented yourself. So it, it's, it's a non-issue there. Yeah. Yeah. And and so he's like, well, well, that's conversational. So you should write that on your resume. Like, and I'm like, but wouldn't that be lying on my resume? I just don't. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. If, like, if, if they would know, like conversational means like a sentence. So you'd be fine. Yeah. Try, I, again, trying to justify his own thought process and how he's perceiving him, like how he's perceiving me and how he's perceiving the environment because he recognized. I want to believe in that moment that he crossed a line that was very inappropriate. And I like I'm very great. I, I'm very proud of myself for handling it that way because I was very graceful in how, how I mm. handled it. Yeah. But I wanted to scream in the middle of this theater and call him a goddamn racist. Like, mm. <laughs> cause yeah. that's what he was, you know, man. And that's, that's such a tough thing to do because it adds up as, as you said, whether it was a microaggression or not, whether it was a, a full like assault of, of, you know, an assumption about somebody else, you're still left to have to sort that out and parse through like how much of this am I going to carry with me, you know, on to the next audition, which it will probably happen again, you know? Uh, so how do you deal <laughs> moving forward? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like full disclosure, I was angry for a hot minute <laughs> when that first happened for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, so I definitely was, but that's also where, again, like, then being in, introduced to these types of like transformational self-improvement courses mm -hmm. and then now becoming certified for myself, like that in itself helped me too, because I was able to then say, hold up, let me be up, let me do a pause for a second. Mm -hmm. And is it possible that 
this man just knows what he knows and in his experience that's what he knows and i so i'm no longer like angry at him or anything like that mm -hmm. am i sad if anything i'm sad like that this sure. is still the norm that was happening and like we're in the 21st century you know and then still hearing from you know the groups that we're in on facebook for example like the you know like uh, like you know all the different actors and perf like right, industry people right. of color you know that deal with colorism in some way you know yeah you see a post there every other day about you know somebody <laughs> yeah yeah i don't like i don't even feel it i don't i don't yeah. even feel it's every other day i feel it's every day and sometimes it's more than one post a day mm -hmm. about it to think like and that's why i say like i feel the biggest thing that really needs to happen is the table especially when it comes to production and casting more than mm -hmm. anything yeah. um really shouldn't be oh we're gonna have just one hispanic or latina there or latino and or like one black like identifying person there mm -hmm. it needs to really be like a melting pot and if anything make it the, like i too sometimes i also believe like that the way that the world works sometimes and this is in everything actually it's not sometimes it's everything is the pendulum swings always in mm -hmm. life right and we tried it and we've gotten to the point where the pendulum swung so far to one direction where it was like I, like I said like old gay white men rich old gay white men right on one side and there wasn't any other side honestly it should be a total trajectory on the other side just so that we can start balancing it which mm -hmm. is like there should be if if anything one person of that group should be in it and the rest should be really filled by a diversity of voices to have a better input and then over time the pendulum will start swinging back down to center where it can be 50 50 at the table hmm. but till then it really needs to be an extreme to the other direction because for so long it's been extreme to the other hmm. um so that way we can start bringing that pendulum swinging back down so that it's then it can stabilize back at center because um there's <laughs> let's be real like as much as like like a lot of companies and theaters have struggled over the last few years because of the shutdowns and what's happened in the world. Um, theater has been dying for 2000 years, mm. right? But that's it always manages story. Yeah. But it always manages to still hang on. Like that's the gift and that's the beauty of it. Right. Mm. And why has it still been able to hold on? If you really think about it, it's because we've allowed the theater to evolve right primarily with the stories we're telling mm -hmm. i mean that's why we break down theater history the way that we do right like we have like um you know we have the greek theater which is very one way of imagining conversations they were also used as a way to communicate like world events mm -hmm. right and to like help people know things right and then it kept transitioning and transitioning to where we have like you know um we have like especially in the in the last you know century like there's a debate of where does modern and contemporary work really begin and end uh but if you really look at it it's those were where we really started to see different types of stories really coming in mm -hmm. um and start to really transition um and that's where the theater still have been around i mean think about it we had another pandemic in the you know, a hundred years ago too, right? And the theater still survived. Yeah, yeah. And why? Because we started transitioning into like different type, a, a different type of um, modern dramatic literature came through, right? Right. Um, yeah. uh, so, and then it wasn't until about the sixties that we really start seeing more contemporary work really coming to the fore, like what we consider contemporary today. Mm -hmm. Some other, other, you know, theater scholars would argue contemporary modern the, 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 so like the, the cutoff point, of where that is the yeah. cut of it so that kind of ranges a little bit but like you like some believe arthur miller is still part of that uh modern some people believe arthur miller is part of the contemporary depending on how you want to look at it mm -hmm. right he's in the 50s so um I, i'm of the belief of the my, way i was taught is that that's still part of modern so mm -hmm. like like so, early yeah. you know earlier earlier stuff and like you can even argue some things into the 70s are still cons like the way that they're written are still more of the modern view right. and and there's nothing wrong with it because it's just it's making commentary of what they were experiencing that's the beauty about it 
that I loved so much about modern, like when I did modern, like modern dramatic lit in, in uh, or modern dramatic theater history in, in college. Hmm. Um, like my, one of my favorite playwrights is Ibsen, right? Oh yeah. Um, nice. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, one, because he recognized women were important and that's when like, there was a whole wave of like this, I, the suffrage movement was really starting mm. at the, like at the, at the turn of the century. Um, so if you look at Ibsen plays, it's, it's, there's always a female lead, like right. very yeah. strong female characters. And there's, and it's still a commentary of what's happening in the world in its, in his own view. Right. Um, the same thing with like Tennessee Williams, it's another like modern art artist writing from his own perspective of family life again evolving from what it was to what it is right mm -hmm. um and so that's where i'm really excited about to see like how we now step into that kind of mentality um because i really think that that's what needs to happen and that's what's going to happen mm -hmm. again the pendulum swings right yeah, yeah. and i think the pendulum swung when it got to contemporary in a slightly different way like more you know um fantastical mm -hmm. right as a as opposed to now bringing it back to that modern uh thought which was really making commentary like active commentary of what's happening mm -hmm. in someone else's perspective in a new perspective right yeah. um so that's what i'm most excited about um one of my other favorite playwrights is like is Lorca like obsessed <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me started there you know um right well, you know, I think you're you're touching on something that's that's kind of interesting. I'm I'm reminded of of this idea that like the powers that be, right? The people who are in charge of theater, whatever we want to call it, whether it's Broadway or off Broadway, the the big leagues, right, or even regional theaters, there is an obsession with with the kind of plays that have tradition, right? And I think that's where the problem comes in, where mm -hmm. uh, a a work like Ibsen, you know, uh, a great master of contemporary theater if if you want to go that far like he wrote some damn good plays but people who produce those plays have an existing idea of what that should be and that's where like sometimes people of color don't fit in or that's where like some of the new things don't really start belonging so my suggestion i'm going to bounce this off of you just to see what you oh, think because i want to see i, I think i want to see <laughs> my my issue because i'm a playwright and because i i believe in in new work is we need to have a quota of new work and we need to stop producing old work. But this is what I believe. Like, I think you need to, you need to pay like playwrights of color. You need to give them money, go to the, to the theaters where they are. Right. And redefine what a regional theater is and, and go to the places that don't have the resources, give them the money and have them tell the stories because I'm, you know, they're there, they're doing their stuff and the best they can with what they have, but everyone's going to Broadway to, to watch, you know, a doll's house again. Or, you know, even some of my favorite plays, which are like the, uh, the Sam Shepard plays of the sixties, which are batshit and kind of like all over the place. And I love them so much, <laughs> but I want to have a Brown person like version of that. You know, that's really my goal. Like, that's all I want. I love that you say <laughs> this so much because, so I think there's two ways to go about this in the pandemic. I also started to write. And although in college, I was also required to do some playwriting as well as part of my degree. Um, I've always thought myself to be a really bad writer, especially from a young age. I just thought I just didn't know how to write because I also hated reading. And I was always told like reading and writing have to go together. Mm -hmm. And so because I struggled with reading as a, as a kid growing up, um, at first, like I really thought that was translated to me being a bad writer. Um, so I always like, made my made having to write essays or this and that in like school um it felt like the worst thing possible <laughs> and of course like because i felt that way about myself and about how i was viewing the present like the homework and everything like that um i didn't always get the best grades i'm not going to say i was failing anything but i probably got like you know b's versus getting an a because i didn't believe in myself mm. um and then in college um i started just kind of getting out of that a little bit um i s decided to say kind of f this and i wrote something <laughs> for uh an english class that i was just like i'm writing this and i'm gonna have fun with it um and i got like an a minus my professor was like this was a lot of fun to read and it kind of really inspired me so then i was writing things for, for my playwriting classes in college as well and um i think i aced that class like backwards and forwards like i think i got one b maybe and uh so that was a cool thing and i never but i still didn't want to identify as a playwright 
because I, I felt that there was this like the label felt too big for me because I didn't mm. feel it was real. Yeah. Um, again, because I still be- I still had this underlying feeling that, well, this might be a fluke. Like, I can't say I'm a writer because writers enjoy writing. And as much as I had fun oh, writing these things. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be well, the first to tell you. <laughs> well, for sure. Um, so like, and I, I mean, I've had concepts of plays I've wanted to write for years. And I, but I've always stopped myself because I was like, no, because I'm such a bad writer. I could never be a writer. And like the word playwright was just a scary word mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. I'll be very honest. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm an actor and a director and I can choreograph too. Like I'm an actor and director and I can choreograph too. Like I'm not going to say <laughs> that I am a playwright. Um, and so then during the pandemic at one point, like I kind of, you know, said well clearly unprecedented amount of freedom of time let me start writing some things and um i started writing a play concept i'd been dying to write um it was actually a a a new um translation adaptation to a a modern play that Mm -hmm. i love um and i was i and and although i finished writing it per se i'm you know this is maybe like a like a, a hopeful moment to be like is there if there are there any um latinx female identifying preferably composers out there listening i would love to talk to you i want to create this play with music concept very like indecent inspired um kind of thought like that but again it's a new interpretation uh, a new adaptation of an older play and i recognized um again, where like, I started realizing, like I said, I talked about how I mentioned about that uh, casting director, that agent that I changed how I looked at him and no longer hold the anger. I did the same thing with this as well, which I was like, I can't keep being angry that I'm not being represented. And that's a difficult thing that we're experiencing. Um, where that's, again, what led me to be so passionate about, you know, this new, like, coaching uh opportunity i've created for myself because Mm -hmm. my focus really is on working with minority actors and performers primarily to get them to break the mold of what they believe others think of them so that they create these massive characters that even if they were to go after an ibsen role right they are bringing a character so like captivating Mm -hmm. that it's going to create the casting directors to be like I need to see that again. I need to have mm-hmm. another look at that. Like start breaking the, ex- the the stereotype. But it also led me to realize like that's like part one, but like part three, right? Cause like part one, <laughs> two, and there's a, it's a process of transformation. Yeah. But part three is this idea like, why isn't more, why aren't there more people like you and me, like being inspired by, at least for me, one of my favorite people is like Lin-Manuel Miranda, mm-hmm. right? Is like, what does he do constantly and successfully he writes plays or shows for himself Mm -hmm. that still tell his story and we're here kind of like fighting a battle to get seen in someone else's perspective but why not are we not taking the opportunity to start writing our own stories or making it even simpler why reinvent the wheel? Get a story that resonates with you that doesn't necessarily fit like like that isn't, you know, the norm is like it's a white casting, you know, it's a whitewash show. But how can you retell that story where you're now playing the lead and you've started to like make adjustments and adapt it to tell another part of your cultural story? Mm-hmm. So that is one of my biggest things that i'm starting to advocate for is like that creation of that because i believe that's part of it um do i think that we can also create new stories and new works a hundred percent and i'm all for that and there's also the story the the idea that there's no new idea right Mm -hmm. it's always there's always going to have been some kind of story like that written before maybe in a different way so that's why like why reinvent the wheel grab a story that you already know that you already like and then finding ways to create it for yourself we're Um, a whole bunch of remixes i i do i do agree and believe in that but i also think that where where you come in handy people like you come in handy in their ability to let people know that they can and this is such a it might seem like an obvious thing but for people of color especially in the arts 
or in any sort of a field where they might not be like the, the main person there. I mean, that's what it comes down to is feeling like you can even do something at all. So I think that we do need folks of color in leadership positions, you know, or even just marginalized people to talk to each other and say, you can, you can do this. You don't need anyone's permission. You can do this because I think that's still the barrier for a lot of, in particular creatives. I think that that's an issue. So one thing that I'm going to say as well is like why this was so inspiring for me, because when I was in this transformational programs that I did, and, um, it's very much on this ominous that like you, you like are in charge of everything in your life. However, when we choose to still think, well, they're not casting me because they're, because I'm, I'm Hispanic, you're creating a victim mentality, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I get that because we get to feel our experience. We get to, you know, our feelings are all valid, right? And so if I, like I said, like I was very valid to feel offended by that man, right? And can I now take a step back and be like, how, like, can I look at him with compassion as Mm -hmm. well? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I say this, it's like, it's like when you look at, you know, survivors of assault or anything like that, they don't want to be seen as victims. They want to be seen as survivors. So can, and that's again, stepping away from a victim mentality. So can the same kind of concept be brought here? That's Mm -hmm. the thing. We're still as a collective, unfortunately, we're still viewing our circumstance as we're a victim of circumstance versus how can I say, thank you for that. I acknowledge my feelings and how can I become empowered? How can I change the conversation? Um, that's why like personally for me, like I'm sad to see people say, um, out of protest, I'm leaving the, you know, the equity union out out of protest. I'm leaving, I'm leaving Broadway. I'm like, but like how much change are you really creating that way? You're not creating any, in my opinion, you're not Mm. the best change comes from within and it becomes from, I'm having this conversation with you and like, you know, like to like strengthen famous oneself, people. right? To, yeah, yeah. And, and the one thing is saying, I'm going to take a step back to work on myself, to better myself. And then so I can come back in to make these changes and make these conversations. That's a different thing. But there have been people in the industry and especially that identify like we do, right? As minorities uh, that like literally said at a protest, I'm leaving because they're not enough of me in there or whatever. Um, and like, I'm not saying that that is, they don't have a, they're not valid and feeling the way that they feel. It's just like, what, like, so some of you have platforms that could have actually made a change mm. in parts of the conversation. So you're, it's like, you have, you know, some people have bigger platforms than, you know, you or I, for example, right? Mm. And a person that really comes to mind is like, um, Karen Olivo, like great, great performer, great, like very inspired by her. And she chose to leave out of protest and she mm. says that she's written articles about it as well now she teaches like you know musical theater in us in a college in uh i want to say wisconsin mm. <laughs> um but that's or, a curious thing because at that point you you also have to realize that that's a person in a very privileged position who has experienced certain things <laughs> that other people haven't even had a chance to and now she's walking away and i don't know i mean i don't know enough about the situation but that's what it sounds like to me well, um, that's why so I'm to, I'm sad to see that kind of yeah. that as an argument because it's like some of us have some of those people have platforms mm. that, and and why not use those platforms to to say calling out the injustice or calling out their complaints and like creating camaraderie within the industry who also feel it instead of just having a mass exodus right because it know? remains a silo you know it it definitely stays the way that it because who stays. because who because who stays the ones yeah. who rem, who who benefited from this way of organizing shows and casting sure, and sure. and production and and exchange of money for shows versus someone with a little more credibility in our industry that's why i admire lin manuel because what did he do like he kept putting out stuff that represented our community mm-hmm. right mm-hmm in a different however a different ways he and yeah there's also things that he's done wrong too but you know we're all we're human we all make mistakes right <laughs> we're no no one's perfect i'm not perfect <laughs> you know and and so like because like look at what he's done right he created another sh- he created encanto like a full cast of you know that tell us of, of hispanics that tell mm-hmm. a story of a culture that we would never be exposed to as as effortlessly as a, as a society i mean you know mm-hmm. And, um, 
So it's just very interesting um, that this is happening, um, which is why like I'm so called to this because I recognize how I changed, you know, and I recognize the, the how I felt empowered to start writing my show during the shutdown once I started like mm. working on myself because I was like, I'm writing this show of a play I love, making it my own with the intention of being cast as the main actor or the, the a strong supporting actor and being like, come see me, come see me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, um, and then that's what I think really like will spark that. And so that's also why I say like, I hear you as well. Like we should, we should, you should fund playwrights to write new work. But sometimes that might be too, like that might be three steps forward that they don't see possible because mm. it looks like leaps versus a, it, it's a simple step for you and I, mm. right? We see that as a logical, simple step or sure. two steps sure. forward. But for some of those people in these positions there, it's like three giant leaps, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think back on the idea of like, what if we were to get playwrights like yourself or myself that recreate a well-known play that tells our story. So there's like that, like, it's a like, bridge, well, right? Yeah, it's a you want bridge. it to be, yeah. And, and that way it starts the conversation of see, like this mm. story could be told from the perspective of the Hispanic community, mm. right? But then How, you got, and <laughs> but that's the problem is like, you also got the baggage of like the Little Mermaid stuff or like a movie that we all love. And then they're like, oh, look what they're doing to it. <laughs> and and I mean, a great example of that in the theater was when they were going to do um uh oh my god um who's afraid of virginia wolf mm. with an all african-american cast oh, right yeah the 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 uh the estate came out and said no 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 the intention of the playwright was to do it with an all-white cast and it can never be done without it exactly and yeah, i mean that's and and i honest in my opinion i also think it's like did they i again i make up I want to believe that they reacted that way because maybe they didn't feel included in the conversation. Again, just as much as we want sure, to be included in the sure. conversation, we get to include them in the conversation too. So could it have been a conversation early on? Hey, this is what we'd like to do. Like, can you support us on this? Like, what do you see? As opposed to it becoming national news that the show didn't even get to be put on. Like they went through rehearsals. They were going to have opening night when the show was like, oh, they wow. pulled the role. They pulled that. the role. Yeah, they pulled the wow. royalties of the show. They had had the whole show cast. It was in rehearsal. They were going to go into opening night when they pulled the royalties. So they had to no longer put yeah. on the show. And see, that's a, oh man, that's so tricky for me because I, I'm like, I'm torn about this because like, <laughs> I, I get it. You know, like Edward Albee is one of my favorite playwrights, but the estate I, I think is going a little bit too far on this one. And I, I also think that this is why I feel like the perspective is already entrenched. You know, there is a, an established sanctity around certain works and it's, everyone's going to get pissed off anyway. So I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going to bother with that. I just make something well, new. <laughs> so, well, but they're going to still be mad that you did something new. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, they're going to exactly. be mad either. They're going to be mad either way. That's true. Like, that's that's true. Thing. So that's why you shouldn't be reliant on anyone's opinion. You know, just go for it. Just go, <laughs> just for, go it. for it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm here to support you if anyone wants to be supported. <laughs> like, I'll support you on that journey for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, shameless plug. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. Let's do the plug now. I, I want to be respectful of your time. I got one more question no, for you. No, but, for sure. Like, um, I love all of this. This has been a great conversation. I've had so much fun. Like, yeah, yeah. Me? I love talking about all these things. Anytime so. you want to <laughs> rant about theater, uh, yeah, please let me know. But if you got a work um, coming up or, you know, anything new, yeah, just let me know. But um, where are you so at from, these days? Are you Are so, you on Twitter or Instagram or, like, website or anything that you want to plug? Yeah. So, um, right now for sure, like I'm really working at plugging my Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, hey, that's, and, uh, that's from, where the clientele is. <laughs> and my Facebook will also go into my, um, again, my, my, uh, coaching group uh, again for these performers and stuff like that. It's like really in its infancy. Like I just launched this like hot minute nice. ago. So if you see like two people in it, you know why. Well, <laughs> you, let's let's do this. Whenever you have something that you want to add, I'll just send it to me later and I'll put it in the episode description. So it's in there evergreen and it uh, yeah. sticks around for a bit. But the last Perfect. question that I wanted to ask you, and this has been a blast. Thank you so much for chatting <laughs> with me and, you know, having fun about theater and playwriting because it's very rare for me these days. 
Um, (laughs) What would you say to somebody who's just starting the creative pursuit of acting, directing, getting involved in theater? Um, I really want to make sure that people who are just starting out are getting a sense of, um, of what's going on through this podcast. So any words of wisdom to share? So if you're just starting out, mm, there's, there's a, it's, a little, it's a little tricky of a question for sure. Um, first, I would say document anything you think you need to document. That's just that thought process. Um, but I would also say that there is more people who probably are going to experience the same things you're going to be experiencing, even as veterans. Um, so don't be afraid to start asking like others how they feel and start really finding your community because that's the problem especially when we're first starting out um or even when we're not there comes a moment we might have this switch where we start feeling we're alone i know that i experienced that and um i have those moments as well and i have to remind myself and dive back into and lean into my community because um more often than not there's going to be someone who's going to tell me I have the same exact story or I hear exactly how you're feeling. And, um, and to know that, that like it, there's always going to be strength in numbers and that's what, um, we're always forgetting. Um, we think it's a, like, we're the only one, we think that we're David and everyone else is Goliath. When we realize that there's more Davids than there is Goliath. Mm. um <laughs> well said <laughs> no that's wonderful and a beautiful note to end on so uh Steffi, i want to thank you for your honesty for sharing these wonderful insights and for being awesome for having a good time it's been a, it's been a blast I, i've had a such a wonderful time thank you so much jamie you've been so super cool and i'm so excited and i'm so grateful Awesome. Awesome. Uh, (laughs) Thanks again. And uh, please don't hesitate to let me know if you're uh, working on anything new. Just uh, hit me up there and uh, and I'll be around. For sure. Oh my God. (laughs) So great to meet you. Yeah, bye. You too. Take care.